And I'm thinking the one thing you have to have on a hamburger, like Duke's, full strength, no half the calorie stuff. And ever since in the Hatfield household, the one mantra we have when we have hamburgers is don't forget the mayonnaise. Like anything else would be forgivable, but you don't leave home without the mayo. You don't serve a hamburger without the prospect of putting mayonnaise on it. No mayo for a hamburger is like recognizing ourselves in our sinful humanity for what we truly are. And here it is. I think we're getting this up. Yeah, you see the title, holiness. Don't leave home without it. Or you might say, you won't get home without it. And here's what I want us to think about. Our sin has corrupted us, right? It's corrupted us. It's why Isaiah said, I am a man of what? Unclean lips. Our sins corrupted us, and apart from his cleansing, we're lost forever in our uncleanness. If you think about it, there's three things at least that sin creates. It creates a liability, a moral liability before God. It enslaves, and it, inc- and it corrupts. And there's a fundamental, un- un- a fundamental uncleanness, a corruption to sin. It's why David says in Psalm 51, wash me and I'll be clean. And so sin and the corruption it causes must be addressed. And it brings us to the big idea or the main message for our sermon tonight, and it's this. And I want you to think about these words, redeem relationship. This will help as you think about the message. Redeem relationship and reflection. Here's the big idea. He who is holy has rescued us to transform us into his holy people. And just as Morris before his prayer mentioned, it's all about God wanting us to dwell with him and him to dwell with us as his people. And so he who is holy has rescued us to transform us into his holy people. And so holiness like mayo on a hamburger is one thing you cannot do without. You cannot do without it. There's no substitute. And that's the point of the purity or ritual purity laws in Leviticus 11 through 15. Holiness is this grand central topic. Holiness and not uncleanness is the one thing that God requires for us to enter his presence to dwell with him in fellowship. And that's David's spirit when he penned Psalm 24. He said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So how do we see this main idea from our text? He who is holy has rescued us to transform us into his people, right? There's redemption, there's the idea of redemption, relationship, and then reflection. And so our outline is just three main points. Here it is. Let's see if we can get it up there. Thank you. First of all, we're speaking of the holiness of God is the special, and here's the bullet points. It's the special attribute of him who comes to redeem us. 
He comes to redeem us as his people, to make us his own. Secondly, the holiness of God is that special goal of the God who dwells with us as our God. All right? So first, as we think of, it's this special attributes, that special attribute of the one who comes to redeem us. So we say he redeems us. Secondly, it's the special goal of the God who dwells with us. He brings us into relationship with him. It's not simply about making us clean or righteous before him. It's about bringing us, having been made righteous, having been rescued from sin, into relationship with him. And then thirdly, the holiness of God is the special work of the Spirit. Let's see how we have that. Great, thank you. It's the special work of the Spirit that the image of Christ might be formed in us. So he redeems us, he brings us into relationship with him, and he forms us, forms in us this growing reflection, this increasing image that looks more and more like Jesus Christ. So let's look at this first point. The holiness of God is the special attribute of him who comes to redeem us. Now you might say there's lots of special attributes that God possesses. But there's something about the way we could say that he's a God of holy justice. He's a God of holy wisdom. He's a God of holy affection, of holy love. It was, yes, it was the great the late great, I like to say, R.C. Sproul, who wrote a book on the holiness of God. But long before Sproul, Dr. Sproul was ever born, Yahweh was telling Moses to tell the people of Israel that this was the special, peculiar, transcendent attribute of God that can be affixed to all his other attributes. We know that the New Testament has the seven I am's. This is sort of one of the great I am's of the Old Testament, all right? Let those words soak in when he says, I am holy. Twice he repeats those, right, in verse 44 and verse 45 of chapter 11. I am holy there, verse 44, and then again, for I am holy, verse 45, why else does he tell Aaron in chapter 10, in verse 10, if you turn there just for a moment, he says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. God's goal here, as we see these purity laws, these five chapters of ritual purity laws, is not simply to fill up the time of the children of Israel where they, like trading cards, could see who knew all the dietary laws of what was clean and unclean or to frustrate them. That wasn't the point. But the point was to emphasize a principle. And rep repetition points to an emphasis that reveals a priority. God desires the clean. For only the clean the consecrated may dwell with him in his presence, in his temple. And so he defines that standard. It's very important you understand that God, who distinguishes clean and unclean, he does so by defining it. So you see 1010, it's a very important marker where God, Yahweh, is telling Aaron, you are to distinguish between holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. 
And then in his priestly ministry, that distinction employs the very words of God. All that we read there from from Leviticus 11 through chapter 15. He defines the standard. You don't need to get lost in all the detail of these five chapters. Basically, many normal everyday areas in the lives of the children of Israel were addressed by these purity laws. There was diet in chapter 11. I was thinking about this. We had pork today at lunch. Some of you like catfish, and catfish don't have what? Scales. And when you take the dietary laws, pork or catfish would have been excluded, all right? But we know that we don't live under the weight, the burden of these. And what's revealed in these five chapters is this, by repetition, this emphasis and therefore priority on this principle of holiness and cleanness and uncleanness, all right? So you have diet, chapter 11. You have childbirth and circumcision of infant males in chapter 12. It's shorter, okay? And then chapter 13 and 14, there's leprosy, what we call Hansen's disease. The reality is that in those two chapters, maybe more contemplated than leprosy as you and I would think of it, is just the various and great variety of skin diseases that were present in that day, all right? And then finally, there's in chapter 15, what we could just call a really weird chapter that nobody wants to read and nobody wants to discuss about bodily discharges, okay? Parents, don't worry. We're not digging down deep there, all right? Chapter 15. But here's the point. Let's refer to our bigger idea again. He who's holy has rescued us to transform us into his holy people. The God who redeems, who brings us into relationship with him, wants then to form in us an increasing reflection of the holiness that he has. In fact, as Pastor Jamie's preached through Hebrews 12, what's the very purpose of his discipline? He disciplines us that we might share his holiness. God cares about purity and uncleanness. He cares about yours and mine. And he defines that. And the exhausting treatment, the exhausting treatment of all this communicates the importance of holiness. We know, we've been thinking about as a church, Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men, the writer says, in the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For that's it's the whole discussion here is pointing as we read these words over and over again. Every time you see from 11 through 15, you see unclean and clean, detest or detestable. What it's highlighting with a big yellow highlighter is the necessity of holiness. There's a second thing that we see here that the holiness of God is that special goal of the, of, of, of the God who dwells with us as our God. In Ezekiel 36, 28, we have the new covenant. In fact, our friend down in commerce, 
Murray Brett calls it the new covenant in its short form. We read this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Okay? And you can even go back to Exodus 25.8. Just follow along with me for a moment as I share as we think about that the goal, as we think of the holiness of God, it's a special goal of the God who dwells with us that we might ultimately share his holiness. We read in Exodus 25, 8, as all the instructions for the building of the sanctuary are about to be given, the words are this from Yahweh, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Turn again to, with me to near the end of Leviticus, Leviticus 26. In verse 11, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I've broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Very helpful. At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We've already seen Ezekiel 36, 28 and then one final time. Turn with me to the second, to the last chapter in the New Testament. In the whole of the Bible, in Revelation 21, John hears this loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So we think of the holiness of God, it's that special attribute of the one who c- comes to redeem us as his people. It's the goal of the God who dwells with us. Now return with me just to press this in a little more. Turn back to Leviticus, our text, and to chapter 11. And verse 45. Ask yourself this question, why must the children of Israel be holy and not defile themselves? And the answer is found by asking who he is. And you see it there in verse 45. Here's the answer to the question, who is God? Who is this Yahweh? Who is he? He says, for I am the Lord Now ask, what has he done? Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? For what purpose? Here it is. 
to be your God. So first, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That's redemption. And for what purpose to be your God? That's adoption. And then the implication, therefore you shall be holy. Why? Because he says, I am holy. And and what's the point of that holiness? What is that? That's simply our sanctification. He redeems us that he might adopt us, that he might sanctify. And you'll see this pattern over and over again. He redeems us. He rescues us from sin to bring us into relationship with himself. That's adoption. To grow in us something that approximates his own holiness. Christian, let me ask, do you long to be like, even as Pastor Jamie quoted from Robert Murray McShane this morning, he, he would say, my, the greatest thing I can give the people that I pastor is my personal holiness. Let me ask, what Husband, here's a question for you. Do you think the greatest gift you can give your wife or children is your holiness? Single adult, do you ever think that one of the greatest things you can give your brother and sister at Grace Baptist Church is growing daily by abiding in Jesus and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is. This is the will of God, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, your sanctification. There's a final thing I want us to see. I know it's 6 o'clock. I'm 21 minutes into a 30-minute sermon, but I'm going to speed it up. I want us to see that the holiness of God, as we consider these five chapters and the purity laws, as they move from diet to childbirth, to leprosy, to bodily discharges. And there's all this, there's repeated phrase, these words of unclean and clean, detest, detestable. And you see periodically this expression like at the end of chapter 1146, this is the law. In each of those, 1146, chapter 12, verse 7, there is always something to be drawn out of that as you see as we just focus for a moment, because the point, of the, the point of this last point is that the holiness of God is that special work of the Spirit that the image of Christ might be formed in us. And you see a bit of this in how each of these sections ends. I want you to, to notice this. The point at the end of the first chapter there, chapter 11, in verse 46, when he says, this is the law, that is Torah, is to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. That there are things that are right, there are things that are wrong, there is a righteous standard And God desires us to walk in holiness when we walk after him. Look in the end of chapter 12. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And you'll notice now what's introduced here at the end, the very last sentence. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. 
And that's the whole point of these first 16 chapters of Leviticus. There is no acceptance before God. There is no real cleanness. There is no real holiness apart from atonement, apart from an acceptable sacrifice being given, and that was pictured, that ultimate perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus is pictured in all those sacrifices in the first seven chapters of this book. Look at the end now, just for a moment, of chapter 13. I want you to see here when it says, this is the law for a case of leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or the warp or in any article made of skin to determine whether it is clean or unclean, okay? And that's that the longest, I think that's next, yeah, that's the longest of the chapters in this section. So there's this, this concern for holiness is not simply the skin of the Israelite, but even the garment that they're wearing. And so you'll see these, the principle here of, within these chapters, the principle of washing, the principle of waiting, but then even sometimes during the waiting or taking specific acts, something then is declared clean. For example, chapter 13, verse 58. Notice that he says the garment, he says here's this garment, if the skin now departs when you've washed it, it shall then be washed a second time and it will be clean. And so there's the contemplation in these five chapters that uncleanness is not forever. That there's the potential for cleanness, for wholeness. That's the whole idea of holiness anyways. Look to even at the, uh, there in verse 32 of chapter 14. Here again, this is the law. Zotorah, this is the law for him in whom is a case of leprous disease who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. And you see the mercy of God here for someone with leprosy who is ceremonially unclean and there's this kindness of God that doesn't demand what one does not have. Now, there's a final verse I want you to see as we press in this last point about that the whole point, the holiness of God then is this picture of what he's wanting formed in us. Look there at the end of, near the end of chapter 15, verse 31. He says, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. The tabernacle, the tent of meeting, is the place of God's dwelling. Who can enter into that? Only those who are clean. How may we be clean? Only by an acceptable sacrifice on our behalf. God has rescued his people. Are you a Christian? You know what you are? You're a rescued person. And you didn't do it yourself. God delights to rescue and redeem a people for himself. In fact, 
That's the point in Titus 2, if you turn there with me for a moment as we land this sermon. I, uh, I want you to think about these, these wonderful words and the way Paul says it. It speaks of the grace of God. Pastor Jamie referenced it, I think, this morning. I think. You can correct me if you didn't. About the grace of God has appeared, Titus 2, verse 11. And of our Lord Jesus Christ who's appeared, he gave himself. He was that perfect, acceptable, atoning sacrifice for the elect of God. To redeem us, that is, to rescue us, to purchase us, to pay that ransom price, to redeem us from all our lawlessness. And there it is, look, the idea of uncleanness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I only want you to turn to a final passage I want you to look. Turn with me to Romans 8. Indwelling sin stains, spoils, wrecks, threatens, some of you know the day, those days, they're Roman seven days, when you could say there is no good thing that dwells in you. The temptation to be angry, bitter, prideful, to promote yourself, to seek pleasure in things that are just the idols of your heart, to find pleasure in joining anything but Christ. And you're sitting there thinking, am I the same person I was yesterday? It just feels like today, I feel like one big piece of indwelling sin that I can't get away from. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? I want to encourage you, look at Romans 8. And I want us to end thinking about this as we've considered that from these five chapters, the holiness of God really is that special attribute of the one who came to redeem us, who were so very unholy, who exhibited so little holiness. It's that special goal of the God who dwells with us who's brought us into relationship with him, that we, he might be our God and we might be his people. And the holiness of God there is in the backdrop of the special work of the Spirit that the image of Christ might be formed in us. And I want you to look at this in Romans 8, 29. This is the end of what we call the order of salvation. Paul says, After the verse we love to quote, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then he says this. And he he says, for those, 
as though there's something between verse 29 and verse 28. They're vitally connected. 29 comes out of 28. And here's the good news. For those whom he foreknew, that is, those whom he set his love on before eternity, but not because of anything he saw in them, these he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. If I asked you, Christian, is your election and your standing before God, is it rooted in eternity and in love and in nothing that the Father saw in love? That the Father saw in love or saw in you? You would say, yes, that's true, amen. That's certainty, and God's not going to reverse that. That's as solid as a granite mountain. But I think when it comes to believing and trusting our Heavenly Father to do that last part of the order of salvation, to in the daily grind and in the face of our indwelling sin, to believe that as surely as in love he elected us before time, that today and tomorrow until Jesus comes back and you can count on it, he's conforming you and me, brother and sisters, through fits and starts and tears and wringing of hands and three steps forward and two steps back and to the perfect image and likeness of Jesus in your soul. Your sanctification and conformity to the image of Jesus is as certain as your election in love before time began. And it's not because of you, but it's because of the righteousness of another. Based on Leviticus 10, Mitch Abwao, she composed this poem as we think with all the holiness we don't have and coming to a God with all the holiness that he does have. Let me finish with this. Mitch writes, am I allowed my praise to bring. Can I approach the greatest king? Does he my broken pieces mend and even stoop to call me friend? Except for Christ's robe draped on me, my filth makes me unfit for thee. Except the priest atone for sin, thy temple I'll not enter in. But praise God, he did. And so we can come. Holiness, don't leave home without it.